This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon offered for the 12th Sunday after Pentecost, August 15, 2021, at the Church of the Messiah in Heflin, Alabama. The principal text for the sermon was Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. On August 14, 1965, Jonathan Daniels found himself with a group of friends on the back of a flatbed pickup truck being taken from Fort Deposit to Hainville, Alabama. While they were in that truck, they joined together in singing these words. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. We shall overcome someday. And I imagine they probably were about as in tune as I was because it's a song that they would have been singing through most of the day in the hot Alabama sun. Now, we celebrate in our church, Jonathan Daniels, each year on August 14th. And in our diocese here in Alabama, it's a particularly important celebration um, that we usually mark with a pilgrimage in Hainville, Alabama, where we go and remember the life of Jonathan Daniels and all the folks that worked in the middle part of the century to bring justice and voting rights and, and all of that to Alabama. But we remember Jonathan especially because Jonathan was one of us. He was an Episcopal seminarian um, who heard Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s call to come to Alabama after the events that happened in Selma on Bloody Sunday. And Jonathan was at school studying to be a priest. He hears this call of Dr. King and he's at evening prayer and he's singing the Magnificat, the hymn that Mary sings, rejoicing that she's gonna give birth to Jesus. And he's singing the words of the Magnificat and he realizes in that moment that he had to go to Alabama. And when he came down, what was supposed to be just a short trip, he became so affected by the people he met here and what he experienced that he actually arranged with his seminary to finish that semester by extension. So he would write papers and mail them back to the seminary so that he could come back to Selma and live here for a period of time. While he was in Selma being a good Episcopal seminarian, he worshiped at St. Paul's Selma and actually worked to try to integrate that church even though there was much resistance from St. Paul's. Selma was a tense place to be in the middle 1960s. This resistance from the church would actually lead Jonathan and his friend Judy, who was also a seminary student, to come to Birmingham and stand outside the bishop's office and protest that the Episcopal churches here weren't following our own rules, which said that everyone should be admitted to worship. Jonathan, while he was here, lived in the black community in Selma. He spent his time traveling along with young black and white organizers, listening to stories of people, taking photos on a, with a newly acquired camera. 
He was joined by Judy in many of his trips, and their work was, at that time, centered largely on voter registration. As August came, Jonathan was actually planning to go back to seminary. Um, it was time to move back home, but there was time for one more demonstration that had been planned in Fort Deposit. The group that made this plan, Jonathan and uh, Stokey Carmichael and all of these folks that had planned what was going to happen there, knew that there was going to be a lot of resistance from the community. They knew that they were coming. They knew that black folks were lining up to register to vote. And so Jonathan knew going into the situation that he was very likely to be arrested. And so the group recommitted themselves to the fact that they believed in non-violent demonstrations and that their peaceful demonstrations to call for voter equality um, would be a witness to the community and it was worth going forward with their plan. Each group went to their assigned place to picket, including Jonathan along with a young Roman Catholic preacher, Richard Morris Rome, and they were swiftly arrested. And that's where the big group of them find themselves on the back of a flatbed truck. See, the jail in Fort Deposit wasn't big enough to hold 24 or 25 people at the same time. And there were also some angry crowds that were gathering around. And so Jonathan and his friends were on the back of this truck that was usually used to pick up trash in the county, being driven 20 miles over to Hainville, where there was a larger jail. And so in this moment, knowing that they had to submit to the authorities, that was part of what nonviolent protests were, they sat on the back of the truck singing loudly, we shall overcome. The group would spend six nights in the jail at Hainville. By all reports, the food was terrible. The toilets backed up. There was no AC or fans, and so you can imagine in the Black Belt in August in Alabama, it was a miserable place to be. They were crowded together, four or five people in two-man cells. The men, black and white together, were upstairs while the women were kept downstairs. It was terrifying. While a few in the group made bond, the whole group remained committed that if, they, that if none of them were getting... If, they couldn't all get out of jail, then none of them would be bailed out. Jonathan was so committed to this idea that when representatives showed up from the Episcopal Society for Cultural and Racial Unity to bond them out, he refused. He said, if we don't have enough money for everybody, then I'm staying. In their short visit with Jonathan that day, they found him, in spite of the conditions, to be in good spirits and very confident in the decisions that he was making. Jonathan spent his six days in jail, leading the group in prayers and singing. Even though he was a seminarian, he wore at that time what was called a seminarian's collar. So it was a regular clergy collar, but it'd have a black line through it. So that's how you knew that you were still in training, still in school. And so he was in jail wearing his seminarian's collar. And most of the organizers often went ahead and called him reverend. And so in that role, he would lead them in prayers and singing, and the group would sing their freedom songs oftentimes pretty loudly. So you would be in the courthouse square, and you could hear coming from the jail, black and white together, black and white together. And they would sing these songs over and over again. It annoyed the people in Hainville, 
Because there was no way for them to forget that in the middle of their little bitty town, they were now housing 20-something freedom fighters that were there singing their songs night and day. On their last night in jail, Jonathan led the group in evening prayer, something that they weren't necessarily familiar with, but many Episcopalians are, the sort of night service that we pray to end our day. And that night, instead of singing freedom songs, Jonathan sang the Magnificat. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. The next day, the group was released suddenly. They walked to a nearby store to get a cold drink and to find a payphone to call for rides. It was there at that store that Jonathan Daniels met Tom Coleman, And it was there that Tom Coleman first leveled a shotgun at 17-year-old Ruby Sales, but Jonathan pushed her out of the way. Things happened so fast that Jonathan died instantly on the concrete in front of that store. Ruby made it to safety. Jonathan was only 26 years old. Jonathan's death would have an immediate impact on the church and in Alabama. People decried the violence that happened in Hainville and the killing of the seminarian and on the nation. It would take another 20 plus years for Jonathan to be named a saint in the Episcopal Church and assigned the feast day of August 14th. But at the time of his death, he was memorialized by both President Lyndon B. Johnson and the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., This morning in Ephesians, we hear, be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God at all times for everything. Throughout this letter to the Ephesians, Paul has challenged his readers to live their lives as changed people, living in a new reality of salvation and reconciliation in the body of Christ. And that this new reality is brought to us by our baptism. And so what Paul is basically saying is live as though your baptism matters and that you have been transformed by the waters. Paul here is also saying that you should worship as though your worship matters and it should be worship at all times that keeps you grounded in the reality of the love of Christ. We in the church celebrate the saints not so that we can set up some unobtainable standard of perfection. Instead, we celebrate the saints Because it is an example. They give us an example of how their lives and faith offered up for transformation can invite and empower us to live more fully into our own faith. Blessed Jonathan Daniels, for me, is certainly an example of living a life transformed by his baptism. He let the whole of his life be not just transformed, but disrupted by God. He was minding his own business, studying at seminary when God sent him to Selma. He let his worship and his prayers shape and form him. He not only prayed for or talked about reconciliation, he lived it out. 
He also shows us how we can always give thanks and praise even in the darkest of days. For Jonathan, it was the hymn, The Magnificent, that was his constant song of praise. It was also the freedom song, We Shall Overcome, that kept his heart singing with thanksgivings even while he was arrested and in jail. It invites us this morning to think, what is the psalm or song or hymn that we can carry with us so that we can always have a melody in our heart that gives praise and thanksgiving to God? What is the tune that maybe you find yourself humming when you're a little distracted or stressed out? And if you don't have one, I invite you to consider what is the song you can carry in your heart? At Jonathan's funeral, instead of a eulogy, they read a paper he actually wrote for his seminary class. A reflection that was written by him explaining his initial decision to go to Selma. Jonathan described this reflection in his own words as he was singing a song to myself, telling the story about his time there. In this reflection, Jonathan clearly describes that being in Selma wasn't a choice, but it was an enactment of the faith and sacraments that he had been brought up with. That through daily prayer in Selma, Jonathan came to realize how his worship and his songs were connected to all those that were praying at that same time, those at his seminary, those across the church, but how they were also, those faltering earthly prayers that we offered, were also gathered up and joined with the perpetual prayers and praise of the saints of God that are there worshiping at the distant throne in heaven. And Jonathan came to realize that the songs of praise that were happening in heaven that continued again and again and again were that we are indelibly, unspeakably one in the love of God. After the committal service, when Jonathan had been buried, as people began to walk away, some of Jonathan's friends from Selma gathered there around his graveside. White and black, they joined hands and sang softly. We shall all be free. We shall all be free. We shall all be free someday. Oh, deep in my heart. I do believe we shall overcome some day. Amen.